0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sport Intern Special, a series of podcasts in which we speak to the movers and shakers within the Olympic movement. In this episode, we speak to David Crocker. He is the Executive Director of the International Basketball Federation's World Cup, which is taking place later on this year. The event will be held by three countries, Indonesia, Japan, and the Philippines. And I began my conversation with David by asking him how much excitement was there in the region for the event.
1: Yeah, it's a really exciting part of the world. I, I'm actually based in Singapore and have been for the last five years. And when you look at this uh, region in Southeast Asia and, and uh, across into Japan, it's over 600 million people in population. And it's a really young population and really entrepreneurial population. Uh, so, you know, it's something that's really is quite exciting for, for basketball to to really try and. Uh, make a, a big splash in this particular region. Already in the Philippines, it's the number one sport, clearly. And uh, the excitement around the World Cup, uh, you feel it every time you go into the city. And it's starting to grow in Indonesia. I was there in the weekend. So you're really starting to feel that people are getting excited about it. So, you know, it's it's a great region. And we're looking at ticket sales now. You can start to see people across the, the 10 ASEAN countries starting to buy and starting to come across. So, yeah, this is a really unique region, and and someone uh, like myself to be here and, and in the middle of it, it's it's quite exciting.
0: It's interesting because it's not a part of the world that has a renowned reputation in terms of uh, high level of success say at basketball. How important is it then, not just to be able to put an event on? of this caliber in the area, but also then to have either individuals coming through that then go on and play perhaps in the European or in the US leagues, but having teams then that that show a little bit of success that helps develop and grow the game.
1: Yeah, look, success is quite an interesting one in the region because uh, it is difficult for these teams to compete at a global level. And this is why, you know, when we think about uh, the World Cup, we've, our, our slogan has been win for all because it's not just about what happens in those final few days, who picks up the Naismith Trophy. There's a whole lot of benefits which are going to, to uh, you know, be great for the whole region. And, and uh, already in the basketball uh, uh, federations across the region, there's a number of them where, where our sport is the number one sport in the schools, in the youth. So there's this great platform of interested fans and interested players And, uh, you know, success for them is about uh, continuing to grow the numbers, starting to become more competitive uh, in Asia, and then starting to make some of that, uh, some of their headway. And I think one of the great things FIBA has done uh, in the recent years has been to bring Oceania and Asia together. So Australia, New Zealand playing with the rest of Asia to try and uh, accelerate the development of, of basketball in the region, playing against some of the best to become the best. So... You know, I really think that, uh, you know, there's a good trajectory for basketball and for of these federations here with such a strong base in the schools. So that's a really important part of the future of basketball in the region. It's interesting, talking about schools, are you seeing
0: a parallel growth both amongst boys and girls' participation as well, or is there at the moment a bit of a, a difference, if you like?
1: Look, there's still a difference, uh, but I think the great thing is that there's more females playing basketball in the region. There's more opportunity and more targeted effort. Uh, Some of our campaigns uh, in the region to try and get more females involved is starting to pay off. And you'll start to see some more competitive games with the national team competitions for youth and seniors. So, yeah, it's growing. And uh, I think that's one of the beautiful things about our sport, that it's for both genders, it's for all different ages. So we're starting to see some of that uptake uh, across the region.
0: Is there a cultural, I wouldn't want to say barrier, but is there a cultural aspect to bringing the game and having more girls participate in it?
1: You know, I think it's one of those things, if you provide the opportunity, you provide a, a good environment, a safe environment uh, where the, the, uh, the younger female participants can just be themselves. Uh, we're finding that uh, we're getting good numbers starting to come through and be a part of it. I think, you know, the cultural uh, side of it is much a challenge about sport and education as opposed to gender and inclusivity. So that's sometimes the challenge is getting people to understand the different values that sport brings and basketball brings, how to be a team member, uh, how to manage your time, how to cope with winning and losing. So it's those sort of values, I think, that uh, people in the region need to understand better As some of the cultural challenges, uh, as I say, not necessarily gender, about you know about valuing the 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 value of sport to developing an individual.
0: And in terms of the event going to this region, I mean, a lot of people that will be listening to this may may not fully be aware of what the processes are. Can you share that with us a little bit about the journey as to how FIBA brings this big event to this part of the world?
1: Yeah, look, it's uh, it's quite a journey uh, from the time in in 2017. I think it was December nine on a lightly snowing day here in Geneva, where the three hosts were awarded uh, the 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 rights to to deliver the World Cup 2023. And I remember it vividly because I've got my friends from very warm places in in uh, Asia with big thick jackets and nice scarves on, trying to stay warm from the the conditions here. But it was a a journey of of three nations really trying to share one vision to grow basketball uh, in Asia. And and I remember very clearly, it was about playing louder together. That was their mission uh, to make it louder and uh, more vivid than before. So that was the the start of the vision was the three countries coming together. Uh, For us, uh, it's been quite interesting because we have three countries, completely different cultures, completely different structures uh you know financed in completely different ways but all having this one vision and all coming together regularly and what, and what i've loved about this project is that it's just purely collaboration amongst the three they're not competitors at all they don't see themselves as one trying to be better than the others They're lifting uh, each other up with all the conversations so we have this great journey uh, all the way from a thousand days ago uh when we we launched uh the logo uh so there's a a beautiful version of the world cup 23 logo which has the heart in it uh and it's about uh, their love and their passion for basketball together and bringing that to the world so as a as a journey uh they've been great travel partners uh, we have all the way along shared the same vision about making this one of the top 5 sporting events in the world and uh there's been nothing but a, a great commitment from all three to to deliver on that promise
0: i i can see the romanticism of having uh, a developing growing region in terms of basketball three nations as you say very distinct culturally coming together to put forward a proposal but then as the federation you know you, you would also have to look at other aspects in terms of legacy in terms of sustainability organization how did that fare, and how is that faring in terms of the build-up towards the event?
1: Yeah, look, uh, let's let's tackle the legacy piece uh, first. Uh, and certainly, if I think of Indonesia, uh, we now have a brand new 16,000-seat venue downtown, downtown Jakarta. They never had that before, and it's purely state-of-the-art. It's a beautiful venue and that will uh, live on in in central Jakarta to host other events uh, for the city and will be a a core piece of of a city strategy in bringing more events uh, in. In uh, Okinawa, there's already a a magnificent venue there, which is uh, being um, used for this particular event, but also a cornerstone of the bid. And, uh, you know, in the Philippines, we've got some beautiful venues who have now been refurbished to make them, uh, you know, again, more contemporary. You know, we're going to use uh, the, the smart Aranata uh, Coliseum, which hosted the the um, fight between uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier for the thriller in Manila. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we've got this great, beautiful stadium, which has now been uh, made more contemporary as part of this legacy. But there's other things we're doing as well. Uh, recently, we refurbished courts uh, in some of the uh, areas of both uh, Manila and jakarta so in the tenement square uh, courts in uh, in um, manila there's a beautiful uh, um refurbishment new backboards new rings the court painted uh with world cup uh logo and our and our uh, um, our man jip uh who is uh, the the mascot for the world cup and in uh jakarta on the weekend we've uh, announced that two more courts that were going to be refurbished and uh Again, uh, I'm there in Jakarta on Saturday. We launched the court. We've got young kids, male, female. We've got some of the older players who for generations have come out and played on the courts, all coming out there to celebrate these new courts being um, represented to them. So, yeah, there is that sort of uh, legacy which has gone on uh, between the the three. But I think, You know, it's the human capital side of it as well. So we're going to have uh, three host nations with people who have had experience at a World Cup level, at the highest level we possibly can deliver. So we've uh, developed a whole lot of new people who are going to continue to contribute to the sport, deliver the sport, and I think raise the level of expectation and standard of how the game's delivered in each of the three countries as well. So I think that's been a really uh, important part of it. Uh, I think uh, for us, again, the the, um, the population base is a critical thing for us. There's 500 million people, 600 million people actually across the region. And we've now got this chance to showcase the sport once again, uh, you know, the, the best 32 countries in the world, all coming across the three countries to, to play for the Naismith Trophy. So, again, the, the chance for us to tell a great story about, uh, about our sport, about the value of sport, get people excited, engaged about watching the best, I think it's something that, uh, you know, again, is going to leave a, a really healthy footprint in each of the three countries.
0: Yeah, and given that you're, you're all sort of entering new territory, if you like, from your point of view, what would success look like at the end of the tournament?
1: Yeah, look, different in each of the three countries too. Uh, In Japan, uh, we will have uh, a lot more um, support behind national team basketball. Already there's a growing interest, but to now to host and to have a lot of people from all across Japan buying tickets to come to Okinawa to see their own players, uh, we're going to see an increased level of uh, passion towards national team basketball in Japan. The uh, In Indonesia, uh, you know, this is a, a quite a challenging one for us. We have the national team who hasn't qualified, but they're still playing. They're still out there trying to qualify in the next round of games. The, uh, the venue which has been built, they will host uh, more national team games in there and they will continue to try and improve their game. Uh, number one sport in the schools uh, within Jakarta, We see that uh, the the league itself is growing in interest. Uh, Last year, I went to two of their finals games, complete sellouts, crazy crowds, Uh, just great uh, enthusiasm uh, inside uh, the basketball uh, network there in Jakarta. And the Philippines, it's time for them to break through. It's time for them to make the next push. Uh, They've always got so much promise. As I say, it's the most popular sport in the country by a mile. And uh, that comes with uh, a lot of magnifying glasses on every move that the federation makes and the and the players make. So now it's their time to step up and step out and and make it to the next level. We've got uh, Paris, and there is a link between uh, where teams finish at this world Cup and and qualification into the through the Paris games. We've got, uh, as I say, 32 nations coming here. They all want to win the Naismith Trophy. They all want to be on that on that stand at the end of it. We're expecting uh, big crowds uh, who are going to come and support this World Cup and support those 32 teams as they try and lift the Naismith Trophy.
0: Well, those were the thoughts there of David Crocker, the executive director of the FIBA World Cup 2023. Don't forget you can get up to date with all the latest news from the world of the Olympic movement by subscribing to the Sport Inter newsletter produced every day, Monday to Friday. So, until next time, stay safe.